technology is the key. If you want to survive going forward in this, the headwinds that are coming, you have to have partners with various fintechs and technology companies. You have to have them. You're listening to 22 Minutes in Lending, your go-to podcast for insights on all things lending, from lending practices, regulatory updates, how to enhance lending efforts, and more. In each episode, host Vince Passion connects with industry leaders to discuss the latest trends and happenings around the lending industry. Let's dive into the latest in lending. Welcome everyone to our inaugural episode of 22 Minutes in Lending. I am your host, Vince Passione, and we're here with a very special two-part series with someone you all know, Dan Berger, president of the CEO of the National Association of Federal Credit Unions. In our first episode, you guessed it, we're going to be talking about that big topic, the NAFQ can merge into America's credit unions. Second episode, we'll be discussing with Dan the state of the credit union industry. Without further delay, let's start our first 22 minutes in the lending. Dan, welcome and thank you for coming on the podcast. I realize you are super busy right now. No, it's great. Anything for you, Vince. Glad to be here. Awesome. Listen, August 1st was a big historic day in the credit union industry when you announced the King of Nafki merger forming one trade association, right? America's Credit Unions. Did I get that right? Yep. You're absolutely correct. It was something that was in the works for about a year. The discussion was happening at the last GAC, Canada's Government Affairs Conference. And they're just, we were talking about ways we can coordinate and collaborate. But then you start looking at the landscape, there's what, 4,700 credit unions left. It's just not a sustainable business model to have two national trade associations representing what's going to become an even smaller industry. And so both boards came and said, listen, let's create a new trade association called America's Credit Unions and you know, create the best of the best from both organizations. And Jim will be leading it and starting January 1 of next year. And so right now we're just finishing up the due diligence process and we expect the vote to start the end of this month in August and probably complete in the beginning of November, probably November 1st or, or 2nd. And then all the votes will be released from escrow and an announcement made on whether the merger passed. The computer membership has to vote for it as well as the NAFU membership has to vote for it. That remind me, when I got into the system, there were a bunch of state leagues. And in the last sort of, it feels like in the last half a dozen years, those state leagues have been merging into some very, very large leagues like the, we see the Florida League now is what, it's Florida, Alabama, and Jordan, and that's leverage. I know you don't get involved in the state pieces as much, but how does that change the choices that credit unions have when they're picking sort of their state league and their national association? Does it change things, March? Well, a few years ago, CUNA decoupled from the leagues. There used to be a requirement to join CUNA. You had to be a member of the league and, and vice versa. So that was to be decoupled. When America's Credit Union is formed January 1, moving forward, you can be a member of America's Credit Union or the league. But the consolidation, the leagues and the state associations are feeling the same pressures that national trades are feeling that consolidation is having an effect out there. And so those are the kinds of things you'll see them continue to merge, I believe, just for the economies of scale that's needed to operate in this current economic environment. Dan, you talked a lot about the regulatory burden that's out there today and the fact that we've got this interesting sort of stalemate going on in DC, which allows regulators some wiggle room. And it's the time regulation starts to grow. And you've always been really clear about that and how being an advocate for your credit unions is really important, especially times like now. So now you've got this transition period between now and the end of the year. 
Aren't your members a little bit concerned about, wow, going through transition, did people take their eye off the ball? What happens in the short term? And you've been fighting the fight against junk fees and things like that. So how do you assure people that that's, you're going to stay on point? Yeah, I still have my day job, as do all the lobbyists on staff. And actually, Jim and I talk about this, and we talked about it. We were together at the DCUC event in Colorado, and we talked exactly about this, talking about the CFPB, talking about the fight against interchange, the next Durban Amendment, and things like that. Yeah, you got to keep your eye on the ball. I talk to my colleagues about it all the time. Jim is talking to his colleagues about it all the time. We still have our day jobs, even though we're going through a merger and integration and everything else with this merger, we have to do our day jobs and continue to advocate and and protect the credit union industry. And we'll continue to do that. My colleagues, they can walk and chew gum at the same time and they do a great job. And so we're keeping our eye on the ball. Now, Dan, we've talked about liquidity in the past. And as we think about what's happening right now, right, the number of interest rate increases that have occurred and the impact it's had on the members uh, and the credit unions. And there's some of the options that have been opened up for credit unions recently, right, to enhance the liquidity. As you think about this merger and you think about some of the legislative issues that are out there, regulatory issues, do you see other options for liquidity access that this now merged organization, Americans Credit Unions, will be able to attack? Yeah, but I think a lot of it comes more from the business side than the legislative and, and regulatory side, quite frankly. I think that there's our, we talked about it before, but the liquidity side, there are other funding sources to go to, whether it's federal home loan banks and things like that, private markets, securitization is something that they can look at, but they definitely have to review their ALM and make sure that they have efficiencies within their lending platforms and use folks and partnerships like LendKey and others to get those efficiencies and make sure you're digital and you're effective throughout the entire lending process. So there are efficiencies out there. Some of them have legacy and antiquated systems, as you very well know. And so there's efficiencies that they can do with partners like yourself and others, but it's more from the business operational side than from a legislative and regulatory side at this point. Understood. So as a partner of NAFQ and a former partner of CUNA, there are two very different models that I've experienced, right? The CUNA model, which when we started, we renewed the credit union industry, was more of an endorsement model, which was really valuable to us. We renew and that endorsement meant a lot. The relationship meant exposure, right? And we used to talk about it as the good housekeeping seal of approval, right? As credit unions didn't know who Lenke was. And in our current partnership with NAFQ, as we've evolved and we've grown, it's more of a business development relationship, right? The staff at NAFQ does a great job of helping us develop education, distributing that education, and then creating opportunities to expand our market. How do you see that evolving? I know it's early and I know there's a transition going on. But clearly, from the NAFQ perspective, you spent a lot of time on this. Yeah, I brought up Randy Salser from Florida to head up NAFQ services. And he completely revamped our program here, our partner program, to exactly what you said. It became basically a marketing arm of the partners and creating robust education, as well as the distribution of the education and making the partners the thought leader for that solution. And Randy and his team did a fantastic job and do a fantastic job. And so when the two boards talk about merging, they generally want the best of the best. And so if they want the best of the best, Randy and the program of NAFQ Services, I think it's the best in financial services, even better than some of the other financial services trades that are out there. And so I'm hoping that they can continue with that process and have it because it's shown value. 
Yeah, the, sometimes the sales process, the pipeline might be a little longer, but being that thought leader in that space and with that solution, the longevity is huge. The days of the trade shows and passing out trinkets and stuff like that are gone. No one's going to buy a technology platform, a partner with a FinTech, because you gave me a squeezy ball at a trade show. It's just not going to happen. But if you're a thought leader and you're being promoted as a thought leader, whether it's on LinkedIn and emails and webinars and webcasts, those are the ways that you really become that thought leader and that expert out there and that knowledgeable, and they'll go to you for that knowledge and for that expertise. That business model is the future. And Randy and NAFQ Services, that's what they do. It does work. We can sit there and go, okay, Vince, give me $50,000 and I'll give you our logo and you get our seal of approval. There's no added value there. We want you to be successful because when you're successful, we're successful, and then we have a long-term relationship where if you just get a stamp of approval, it's a one-time thing. And yet you get introduced to folks and people get to know you, but you don't have that longevity from a relationship standpoint with the client base that you're trying to get into in that marketplace. Well, certainly if Jenny's listening, I'd put a plug in, right? I think the model worked very well. I also think it's very reciprocal. I think from a partnership perspective, there's a lot that organizations like mine and others have to offer our credit union partners. And you've made it very easy for it to be reciprocal. So thank you for that. Absolutely. And education's key. That's the whole part. They want to learn more. And technology's the key. If you want to survive going forward in this, the headwinds that are coming, you have to have partners with various fintechs and technology companies. You have to have them. You know, and as a technology provider, we also need to get more business acumen. And that's what the staff is providing us with, right? Our ability to call into to NAFQ and to find out things about what's going on with loan participations or to really understand what's happening with investments and to see where we can take our products. So absolutely helpful, really helpful. So Dan, you've spent quite a bit of time in the credit industry. And I'm curious, as you sort of built out NAFQ, Talk us all about your legacy. Talk about what those accomplishments and some of the challenges you face and the things that you leave behind that you're most proud of. Wow. I have not thought about legacy, but I think what I'm most proud of is the culture that we built at NAFQ. Yeah, we are a nonprofit, which is the difference is our tax ID number is different. We still have to have revenue in order to keep the lights on and to pay salaries and benefits and to provide the advocacy that our members want and demand. But we really created a culture with a growth mindset. And we talked about it internally. It's called extreme member service. We do everything through the filter. What's in the best interest of NAFTA members? What's in the best interest of the credit union industry? That's our filter. And we were responsive. We were relentless with our advocacy. God forbid you get lost in our phone tree. The young man in the mailroom can help you as much as I can as CEO. And that permeates the entire organization. And I think that culture of being helpful to our members and responsive to our members, passionate about the credit union industry, that's what I'm most proud of. It was a lot of work. I mean, I had an executive coach when I first got appointed CEO, which was really helpful in learning how to communicate better with folks and communicate your vision and what you're expecting. And it was really helpful. But it took several years. It wasn't an overnight process. It wasn't just me. There was an entire management team of my colleagues that did a wonderful job to execute and implement that vision and that plan. And so I'm hoping some of that continues with America's Unions. In fact, I know it will because Jim is committed to it. The two boards talked about it. They don't want a NAFQ 2.0. They don't want a CUNA 2.0. 
They want the best of the best and under the umbrella of America's credit. So I'm excited about it. I'm 110% in support of this merger, in support of Jim's leadership. It's the right thing for the industry, one voice. But we're going to get the best of the best under this new umbrella. Fantastic. So there's got to be a lot of work on the Hill. You've got relationships on the Hill. Obviously, Jim has relationships on the Hill. How does that work? What's going on behind the scenes there of hiking the Hill and having conversations about this and describing what you're doing? I have a stable of terrific colleagues that are lobbyists, both on the legislative and regulatory side. On occasion, they'll dust me off and drag me up to the Capitol Hill, and I love it. I really enjoy talking to the members of Congress and seeing former staffers, and some of them are members of Congress now, former chiefs of staff that I worked with and are now members of Congress, and of course, dealing with the various prudential regulators that we talk to. I really do enjoy that aspect of the job. But Jim does the same thing. We both have robust advocates on both sides of the ledger, but it's something that it's a necessity. You have to do it. The only way to be an effective lobbyist and an effective advocate is to be up there visiting the agencies, visiting the members of Congress, and wearing out that shoe leather. You just can't do it via email and text. You have to be up there and actually develop a relationship with these folks to be ultimately successful. Absolutely amazing. Well, listen, Dad, it is always a pleasure chatting with you. And really, thank you for coming on the podcast. I realize you've got an awful lot going on and, and you were kind enough to come back on again. So I do appreciate it. I look forward to continue working with you to the balance of the year. I can't wait to see what the next chapter holds for you. If you'd like to maybe foreshadow it here, we'd love to hear it. No, I appreciate it. Anything for you, Vince. I'll chat with you anytime you want. Well, thanks to our listeners. Please make sure to tune in to the second part of this series and listen to Dan talk about the credit union industry. I thank you for tuning in. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And I'll meet you all in the next 22 minutes of lending. Dan, thanks so much. See you, Vince. Thank you for listening to the 22 Minutes in Lending podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You'll find links to any resources mentioned in the show notes. If you're enjoying our show, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review.